Hello, friends, and welcome to Impact Everywhere, a podcast that searches for people having a positive impact in unexpected places. My name is Benjamin Von Wong, and today I'm excited to introduce to y'all Trent Clues de Castella. Trent has a background in psychology and is the co-founder of an immersive technology company called Foria, where they harness the power of virtual reality, augmented reality, and mixed reality to deliver therapeutic interventions to reduce pain, anxiety, and drug use, and to create lasting behavioral change for various conservation efforts with large companies like Netflix, WWF, and Google. I was particularly fascinated by Trent's unique approach to impact when I learned that their VR experiences were poised to save hospitals millions of dollars by designing unique user journeys built on the frameworks of clinical trials that remove the need for an anesthetic. Trent and his team are constantly experimenting at the forefront of technology, but it all began a couple years ago when one little girl revealed to them how much potential they had to change lives. We definitely had a, a tipping point in our lives and in our company. We were doing a, a cheeky little VR stunt on national television when we had all these contestants jump into VR and, and walk through these virtual buildings. Long story short, there was a family that was watching the show and they were like, hey, do you think we could bring the show through VR to life to our daughter? She's in hospital. And so they reached out and we connected with them and we literally lined it up the next day and took it across to her. And she'd been in hospital with Hodgkin's lymphoma for seven weeks and for her, she just wanted to escape. She just wanted to get out. She couldn't actually leave. And so, putting on this headset, she was just transported. And then we saw firstly her reaction, but then more importantly, I think the sustained follow-up that we heard from her family, from their doctors in particular around her emotional changes, her physiological changes in terms of the response. You could say this, the light bulb moment and more like, okay, what if we were actually trying to design something that could have a therapeutic benefit. We could actually think a little bit more deeply around the direction that we can push this technology. And that just launched us on a whole new trajectory for our company. We started this VR research initiative called Dreamed, looking at different medical therapeutic applications for VR. And where we started was here in Melbourne, VR therapy for children. And so we went to the Royal Children's Hospital and we had all these Google Cardboards, these little, you know, cost-effective headsets because we were like, all right, they can put it on and go into a jungle or go for a swim underwater. And we've quickly found there are actually a lot of barriers and challenges around VR therapy. You're bringing in this whole new technology that's a paradigm shift apart from what they currently kind of deem as safe. And so things around ethics and infection control presented a lot of barriers. And so we then pivoted and, and took a few steps back and were like the first step ultimately needs to be along the path of research. We need to look at how we can co-design these experiences with specialists so we started working with psychologists and a whole bunch of academic researchers, reducing pain and anxiety. So thinking about existing medical therapies, animal-assisted therapy, nature-assisted therapy, music-assisted therapy, but then actually designing it in a way that you could infinitely scale these types of experiences. You don't have to rely on a therapist each time to deliver it if you've got a headset and you can just share it with the patient. Is medical VR an actual business model or is medical VR a pro bono kind of charity thing that you're doing? I think for us specifically, it is, is pro bono because we recognize our approach is really trying to raise the tide in that notion of how do we actually work alongside 
these institutions to then develop the standards. So then it's recognized as an investment channel. Right now, hospital isn't going to take it seriously until there's quantifiable clinical research backing it up. And there's literally no way that we know of that you can fund work through research. No one's necessarily immediately benefiting in the short term. So for us, it was like, uh, how do we fund research channels with partners? First step was universities, but then also looking at the hospital teams themselves. With that, there's a few challenges that we've come up against around the content and how you distribute that out because it's great to go into a rainforest for 10 minutes, but if you're in hospital for seven weeks, what's that going to do in the long term? Our goal is to find commercial channels through contract work, say working with tourism, where they're using 360 content to promote these destinations, but then opening that content and bringing it into these hospital environments. And there's this beautiful win-win scenario where it's really benefiting the people that could gain the most, but then also telling a positive story for these sites that are creating the content and open sourcing it for medical treatment and intervention. I guess you're also creating the market that you want to work in, in some ways, except you're almost in the same way that any trailblazer is, you're paving the way for others. So you're doing all the hard work upfront in order to set the tone and research, because once those gateways are opened up, now anyone could contribute via our content of any narrative, any style that could rely or lean on your research. So, you know, we often talk about standing on the shoulders of giants when it comes to movements, you're kind of just like, all right, I'm just going to put my head down and do the work and create the giant for others to stand on, which is really, really cool. I do wonder how we can collaboratively within an ecosystem approach, pull it together and actually work to accelerate the adoption in this way. It absolutely is a lot of benefit because we gain these insights around how we can design experiences. We're getting these almost like biofeedback measures and these psychometric insights in terms of how you can better design these experiences. So we'll then come out the end of this and actually have really, I think, the strategic advantage in terms of how we can design the most impactful VR therapy experience. That's so cool. It's almost like your R&D arm to the work that you're doing, except that you're also, while having a great time being on the cutting edge of technology, providing like a fundamental need to support people who would benefit the most from it. And so it's like you've created this win, 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 like win on the business front. Now you're on the cutting edge, you know, you're a subject matter expert, you're gaining insight so you can design better experiences, but then you're also making the world a better place and you're setting the framework for everyone else to kind of tag in. Since you're playing in such a new medium, you're a trailblazer. So you're always having to upsell the value of what you do. Is most of the upsell of the marketing, like what happens when you're not able to upsell the marketing value on a, a hospital-based research. I mean, this is obviously stuff that you've, you've taken years and years to develop, which means that for most of your career as a company, you didn't have access to these metrics to convince people what you do was really valuable. Do you just say like, look, put on the headset, you'll get it? Or do you, like, how do you even get time in front of the right person? How do you convince someone from an experience they know they love and they're safe and they feel safe at to trying something radically different? It feels like whilst this is a, whole new paradigm in terms of content and media. It feels like it is almost more akin to what we can envision in our mind. So, for instance, Google Tilt Brush, a 3D painting tool is almost, I think, better for a lay person to become an artist because you're not necessarily trying to translate this three-dimensional picture in your mind to a two-dimensional surface, but you're now actually sculpting something in a much more kind of human way to how we envision. So, for a lot of people, when they think of VR, 
it's actually just almost like what they would imagine real life would be like rather than see it as this matrix-based simulation or something along those lines. So when we're speaking with people, it almost feels often like the, the sale isn't too hard or heavy because it's almost instinctual. A lot of the time you show someone in VR and they're transported into this whole new world and it's like their imagination's unlocked. They can see the, the power of the medium. But often we don't even need to go that far. It feels like you can just shine a light on whether or not it's like other people, other organizations wanting to be trailblazers themselves and push the boundaries and innovate in this way. And so it is almost like a collaborative approach rather than necessarily trying to sell something in. I really appreciate the insight of saying, look for the people who already are the trailblazers. You know, why bother going to the person that'll never understand the value of what you do and try to convince them? Just look for the people who are early adopters of things in the first place. But then mm -hmm. even then, I feel like there's a lot of fear when testing out something new and different. And oftentimes, especially with m the more cutting edge stuff, is they really struggle to allocate budget for it. So then you yeah. end up being severely underfunded to try something that's never been done before with really high stakes. It's almost like you're setting yourself up for failure. So how do you deal with that? And how do you make sure you don't set yourself up for failure? I think the way that we've really approached it, generally, we've found that we haven't needed to reach out so much as I think it is these trailblazers that see and respect the work that we do and, and do come to us. But I think the best approach ultimately is, is not necessarily trying to push any specific tool set and it's really just drilling down on the problem that they're trying to solve. And so if you know if it's not something that's going to benefit from VR, the last thing we want to do is be pushing that forward because then we're setting everyone up for failure, right? It's like you just want to figure out more interactive ways to get your idea across. And so if that's the case, it's really just a discovery as the first stage, making sure that there's nothing overscoped and underpromised in a sense. And so sorry, overpromised. And then for us in particular, we've since found <laughs> I find it really interesting when you meet a lot of companies in this space and they're like, oh, we do this stuff in VR, but it's top secret. You know, we can't tell you what it is because, you know, it's it's our IP. And the reality is everyone already has had that idea in some capacity, I feel. So it's not all about how unique your idea is, it's your ability to execute on it. Got it. That's great. What is the hardest pitch that you've ever had to do? Like one that came close to failing or one that you just really struggled to like put out there? Absolutely. So the closest, hardest and <laughs> most demanding proposal we have ever worked on is one recently called Rewild Our Planet. At that point in time, WWF was working with Netflix on a new TV series called Our Planet with David Attenborough. And they were like, all right, well, how do we maybe extend the series off the screen and bring it to life in a shared space? And so, we received this brief from Google and the WWF and it was like, all right, we've got this new technology, this new content that's coming out and ultimately, we want to look at how we can bring people together to then drive action. Like, what is the difference in terms of a shared experience and shared understanding? Does that actually facilitate a greater likelihood to actually follow up with changing your habits on a daily basis? Long story short, we basically received this brief and we're going alongside one of the biggest media agencies in the world. And, you know, we're a small startup, 25 people based out of Melbourne and Australia. You know? For us, it was like literally David and Goliath. And it was something that I think, you know, our David opportunity was actually the purpose in this project, right? Using AR to then actually drive impact rather than just marketing a product or a house or something along those lines. 
that was a pretty intense month for our team. But I think what got us across the line is, is they could see the, the heart that was in the proposal and how much further that we were willing to push it. It still shines through today whilst the project's been delivered. We're looking at evolving it. We've been working on it for the last 12 months just because it's passion-led. And so I think there's a pretty unique thing to say in terms of these startups and companies that are you know, infant in terms of their size and, and you know, branding in terms of their um, awareness in the market. But there's this underdog mentality that you'll go 300%. You know, you'll push it further than anyone else because it's not about the paycheck at the end of the day. It's actually so much more than that. Hmm. I was expecting something more tactical that would have made its way into the brief and the competition phase than like we were more passionate than the other team. In my mind, I, I was expecting almost uh, the idea that you had a lot of experience in behavioral change. Perhaps that was something that made its way into your deck or you had been in the game longer. So you had a deeper understanding of it. I thought it would be a little bit more technical than, oh, yeah, we love it and we're going to work harder than the other guys. <laughs> Well, no, you're right. Like that's actually for me that that's where the passion shone through because we took the brief that they'd given us and, and pushed it twice as far in terms of the experience. You know, they were like, all right, we want people to engage with Netflix content and then play together and then that's it. And we're like, okay, well, what about like how do we get people to act on it? And so we basically built out what was much more cohesive user journey. There wasn't just, all right, let's just hit these three marks. The passion really shone through in terms of the types of thought and detail that we put into that user journey. And that would have been informed by actually, as you pointed out, our research, like we highlighted, and we've actually since performed behavioral research projects around the project that are now informing the next phase of it. And so that is our strategic advantage. It's not just let's just make some money and then flip a project, but it's like, yeah. all right, well, how do we bring everything into the fold? Yeah. I find it interesting because you're almost speaking like an artist, right? You're saying like all oh, this, this passion, but then if I revert it and I imagine myself in the seat of a business person, I'd probably be like, oh, actually these guys aren't just trying to produce an output. They're not taking, let's say it's a million bucks. They're not taking a million bucks and converting a million bucks into an experience. They're actually converting a million bucks into behavioral change, which is actually what we want. We don't actually care about the output. The output is just a tool. Whereas the other guys, because they were coming at it from a marketing perspective, never took it to the actual win condition that the hearts behind the other dollars were looking for. And maybe in this case, it worked out really well for you because it was a purpose first group of people, right? WWF, you know, mm -hmm. coming forward, David Attenborough leading it and so forth. These are people who actually want to change the world. They're not looking to just create a new season so that people will show up again and convert ad dollars. But that outcome piece might be the, the winning piece of the puzzle. And you call mm -hmm. it user journey, which I think is really, really fascinating. If we broke down user journey into a couple different chapters, do you have different phases that you've identified as critical when it comes especially to positively having an impact on a person? I think there's a few pieces, right? So it almost comes back to the conversation around VR as a starting point where it's like the first time user, how do you gently set someone up within a space that they're familiar and feel comfortable. So I think the onboarding is really critical in terms of the first step in, in setting them up and upskilling them to be capable to then like launch into this user journey. Then along the way, there's a few things that we noticed like the social psychology and, and how people can actually be influenced by the actions of people within their space. So we're thinking about if you're going to make a, a pledge right now and you're being encouraged to call it out in a group setting, 
do you feel more accountability in terms of following up rather than necessarily subscribing to something or liking it on Facebook? And so, the social influences we find quite fascinating. And then even as like a different example on the VR side, one of the research projects we did, we basically had children take these VR headsets home that were actually simulating their patient journey. And so, this is something that's getting them familiar with that user journey that they're going to go through when they're receiving treatment. But then what started to happen just as a byproduct is they started taking it to school and then they were showing their friends at school and then there was this kind of collective shared understanding between their peers in terms of the treatment that they're going to go through in hospital. And then similarly, when they're at home showing their family, there's a lot of anxiety that's felt obviously from the parents there when their child's undergoing different treatments. And so, for them to see what their child's going to go through, there's this kind of empathic collective positive influence that can come from that. And so, having technology implemented in that way where there is this like positive social influence comes in to really support that. It's so interesting to hear you mapping out an emotional journey because the value of art is in the eyes of the beholder. So, very often you find or hear about artists who just create what they feel kind of passionate about and then it's up to whoever goes through it to interpret it however they want to. But everything you're talking about is designing and controlling that exact experience. And so at some point, it's almost like how much percent of it is art and how much of it is design. And I just find it so fascinating that you can actually boil it down because there's something about this idea of transporting people into another world or into another place that maybe is wired like deeply, like almost subconsciously that you're kind of digging into Mm -hmm. that I'm wondering like how I can use those same attributes into the work that I do. And I think it's so fascinating. And in many ways, it's almost like you just kind of stumbled upon it. It was born of a need. You had to study so carefully the emotional journey of a person that now it's become this science that's applied into this art form that's now both science and art. In some ways, you're almost, you're taking the complete opposite approach of most marketing campaigns, right? You're saying, I am going to create depth when everyone else is aiming for breath, right? Everyone's trying to reach as many people as possible. And you're like, but how much would you pay to convert one person forever? How much is that experience worth? And the fact that you don't even need to necessarily measure it yet to sell it because people can feel it is a really interesting nuance that I don't think happens in many other media forms. Do you share the same thoughts or do you see like parallels in which your work can apply to other mediums? I think what's been fascinating just in relation to that working with WWF is really like we're not conservation activists, right? Like we design and build these experiences. And so there is, I think, firstly, like a meeting and a melding of the minds in terms of bringing the technical and then actually having their kind of story and message come through and then co-designing what could be the most impactful. And I think firstly, without a doubt, like we're still learning. We're still really diving headfirst into the dark and and trying to like shine a, a light through and making mistakes, but it also feels like it's the most accelerated approach to how we can really learn as much as possible. And so, there's a couple pieces on at the moment, Rewild being the AR side, but also working with WWF and then Oculus on this new project on the VR side. Our goal really is to put up on a pedestal, here's two like world-class versions of what AR and VR conservation experiences look like. And then equipping it with these ambassadors to then actually then 
understand how they would then run with it and use it. So, for instance, is the greatest impact and reach coming from education? Is it coming from transforming face-to-face fundraising on the ground? And so, for us, we can only do so much in terms of how we design it. And I think it then comes from that feedback loop and how we can actually set that up in a way that we can like quantifiably understand and iterate on how we can optimize and fine-tune it. And so for the VR piece like that we're working at the moment for Ecosphere, the content and how we deliver it isn't just a voice of God that takes you on a fun journey as you kind of navigate through these environments, but instead you're just meeting people, activists on the ground. You're going into a rainforest in Borneo and you're meeting a palm oil farmer and you're being kind of confronted with this stigma that you might have of, say, the palm oil trade but then understanding his story and supporting his family and understanding that he's actually a sustainable, ethical palm oil supplier and there's ways that he's really redesigning a new framework to support you know, this positive industry in a one that's kind of shrouded by, say, negativity in terms of the public perception. And the reason I'm kind of going around about in terms of these few points is we're just finding like the mediums and how we connect with people are just inching closer and closer to is similar to that human experience. And so, I don't necessarily feel like we need to redesign the wheel in that sense, but it's actually just putting you in front of someone and listening to their story in a way that it's actually more powerful than, say, you know, looking at photographs or watching a video. And it's just this like innate human interpersonal connection that we can feel. The main feedback that's come through so far is how emotional it's been. And I think that's really where we start to uncover that that sense of change. If you're truly moved by it, it's just something that you'll never forget. And so, I think that's really what we want to hone in on. Do you have a couple pieces of granular takeaway that maybe someone who's a little earlier in their journey still trying to figure out how they might get into the impact space? What are the first steps look like? Collaboration. I've found personally working in this industry, the mentality and, and kind of culture is very much we're all in it together. Obviously, there's there's competitors in some respect, but I feel comparing that to traditional industries, everyone is incredibly open to sharing learnings, supporting and, and providing leads and, and it's um, similar to one another. So, I feel like if you just reach out to anyone in this space, it might be the world's best conservation storyteller and just go, I love your work. It'd be amazing just to have a call for five minutes and just ask you a few questions. That kind of connection, I think, generally is really warmly and openly received. And then the more time that you really put into yourself in terms of upskilling online, there's never been a better time literally to dive in and and really equip yourself with these new tools and abilities and yeah, just start creating content, see what comes, test it with people, get that feedback and iterate. Amazing. Thank you for that. I'd like to end the interview on one ask, one offer and a question for the world. Great. So, I think from an ask, at least for us to everyone listening right now, it's, it's been a Really interesting time that we're navigating through. It's obviously a little bit surreal, but I'd love to understand and hear from your listeners. Where is this silver lining that they're seeing emerge in this new world? You know, how can we harness the global digital shift that we're all undergoing and really come out the other end of this as evolved digital natives? You know, I'm seeing the benefit from my grandma using Zoom to jump on a call. Like we've kind of ruled them out and now they're actually, she's calling me up just to have faith 
FaceTime now. And I'm like, this is something that feels quite surreal. I think as well, so alongside that, we are looking for positive stories. So we have this series that's launching in May called Ecosphere and Oculus Go and Quest. And really, it's just aiming to shine a light on stories around the world where humanity and nature are coming together, co-creating and thriving. This is really the first step for us and there's so much amazing work out there and we'd love to see what other positive stories exist. So, if there's anyone out there that wants to kind of share and reach out, we'd love to hear from you. And then I guess lastly is is definitely in sense of the offer. We definitely receive a whole bunch of people reaching out, inspired to then actually get involved in the space. And the first step is just jumping on a call, having a conversation. doesn't matter where in the world you're based, you know, in terms of what you're doing. It's so easy to just jump on a call. So, I feel like if anyone is interested in connecting, would love to hear from you. I feel like there's a couple of really good projects that we're working on that I'd love to get some feedback. I'd love to understand and hear from you, you know, what works and what doesn't. What would you change to make it better and more impactful at the end of the day? So, yeah, I think for me, those are the three avenues that I'd love to hear from your audience, Ben. It's really awesome, man. So there you have it, guys. I hope that Trent's proactive approach to impact by thinking not only about outcomes, but also on how to get involved in the clinical research side of things has you feeling inspired. You can learn more about their work at Foria, that's P-H-O-R-I-A dot com dot A-U. And if you have any comments or thoughts, check out our Facebook group at impacteverywhere.org slash group. Next episode, we have serial entrepreneur Adrian Solgard, who went from being a near penniless couch surfer to the CEO of a luggage company that removes five pounds of plastic from the ocean for every product they sell. What fascinated me the most is that Adrian actually has a creative background, just like me. And it gave me hope that perhaps one day, I too could start something just a little bigger. Adrian drops a ton of wisdom in the 30 minutes that I chat with him, and I can't wait to share it with you. Make sure to tune in next week, and if you enjoyed it, don't forget to share the inspiration with your friends, because impact is everywhere.